Ready for the word this morning? John chapter 18. Go ahead and turn there this morning. John chapter 18. Good morning, Zoomers. Good to have y'all with us this morning. John chapter 18. I've enjoyed going through the Gospel of John. Um, here we're a, li- a little off from the calendar year. We're, we're getting into uh, Jesus' Passion Week here uh, in John, but uh, getting towards the end of this Gospel. Just so, so much good stuff in here. And I like going through a book. It's taken us a while. But uh, I think it's helpful for us to go through uh, a book of Scripture together to get the overall content, uh, overall context and content uh, of the Scriptures. So, John chapter 18, I'm going to go, instead of reading all through it, I want to cover the first 11 verses, but I'm going to cover them a little bit at a time and get uh, get into Matthew a little bit too. So John chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Matthew tells us that the name of this garden is Gethsemane. Scholars tell us that that means olive press. Okay? This garden was located at the foot of the Mount of Olives, and uh, named there for that way for the abundance of olive trees that grew on this mountain. And it was fitting then that there would be a place at the foot of this mountain where there would be a press to, uh, to make olive oil. i got a picture of an ancient olive press here. Uh, if you look at that huge stone there over the, the, the basin, I, I don't think an olive stands a chance in there at all, it's going to give up its oil or else, right? But it was also fitting that this would be the place where Jesus was similarly pressed by the weight of his surrender to the will of the Father. I want to entitle the message this morning, Pressed by Love. Pressed by Love. I want to take a little... uh, left turn here into Matthew chapter 26. It says this, uh, Matthew filling in some of what John... It's, it's wonderful that we have the four Gospels because we can fill in some pieces. You know, you, you have people at different events, right? Uh, husband and wives even, and you tell the same stories. Oh, oh but you left out this, right? So it's kind of nice that we have uh, the, the other Gospels. So here in Matthew... It says, then Jesus, uh, chapter 26, verse 36, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Note, he says, that he is sorrowful even to death. We're going to come back to that. Going on to verse 39, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, here's those 
incredibly infamous words, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Luke tells us that he had already asked them to pray before he went a little bit further on and began to pray himself. But he comes back to his disciples, Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, his closest of closest buddies, right? And he finds them sleeping. Now, you and I can be quick to judge the disciples. I, I've done this all the time. I judge Israel in the Old Testament, and I say, look at those people. And then God says, what about you? And I go, okay. Um, but, you know, it's dark. It's night. It's late. They just finished the Passover meal together where there was wine, okay? So how many of you, probably not, but it's happened to me, how many of you have ever tried to pray at night and fallen asleep on God? Anybody want to lift their hand just a little bit? How many have done that in the morning when you haven't had all the coffee in yet, right? Okay, so we can look down on them, but you know what? We'd have been there too, right? So, yes, Jesus is certainly a bit disappointed in his best buds. um, And he encourages them again to pray. But having taken on human flesh himself, he acknowledges the battle that you and I can face. Right? Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing... But as we all know, the flesh is weak, right? Yeah. Have you ever had great spiritual intentions and not followed up, right? Either to do something for the Lord or not do something you weren't supposed to do and you came up short because of the weakness of your flesh, right? Guilty, guilty as charged. That's why he says to pray that they don't enter into or we might say give into temptation. Right, Not depending on our own willpower, but looking in faith to the power of God. We, it's the same, same idea, I believe, in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, <laughs> steer me clear from temptation, right? because I know. Right? I've, I've already said, Lord, for, forgive my debts as I forgive my debtors. I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at my own weakness. I said, Lord, would you steer me clear from temptation today? Because I might fall. Right? It's humbling. So again, for the second time, Matthew 26, 42 says, He went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, let your will be done. Luke 22, Luke the researcher, the physician, says this in verse 44. He says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Here we're coming back to Jesus being sorrowful to the point of death. How many have ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? Okay. Do you remember the scene where those bloodthirsty uh, Roman guards are scourging Jesus with that cat of nine tails with the bits of metal and, and pottery, you know, embedded in them, right? Until until he is so badly and brutally beaten, his body is literally convulsing, right? Powerful, powerful scene that we've never seen in any other Jesus movie. It's just just 
And that probably was cleaned up from what, you know, actually happened to him. Uncontrollable convulsing from the pain, the shock, the loss of blood. Jesus knew that this is what he was going to be facing. He knew as he knelt there in the garden talking to his father, he knew this was up ahead for him. Add to that, right, the further agony on the cross. His arms up in this position, his feet nailed, every breath that he had to exhale, pushing on those nails in his feet, every breath excruciating, right? And then add to that something that you and I will never, ever comprehend Spiritually speaking, he bore the weight of the sin of mankind. How many have done something wrong? Just maybe even a little bit. You, you know what guilt feels like? Right? The weight of guilt, the weight of failure, the weight of mistake. Oh man. Right? You're just so, can you imagine bearing the weight of the sin of the world? Hitler, Stalin. Right? Bearing that on himself. We'll never, never quite grasp it. We simply read these words, let this cup pass from me. And we can miss what Jesus was going through in that garden called the olive press. That image of that heavy, heavy, boulder, crushing the olives. He knows what's coming. And he, in human flesh, with the same um, self-preserving fight-or-flight response that any of us would have when we know we're going to go into a tough situation, right? He's feeling the same thing. He's, he's got human flesh, right? He had to make a choice. At that moment, knowing what was coming, Jesus made a choice in the garden. It was still his choice. Do you realize that? Do you realize that at any minute he could have backed out? He could have said, no way. Not worth it. Not going to do it. I'm innocent. I don't deserve this. Right? He still could have bowed out. Imagine the struggle going on in him. He sweat, as it were, Luke said, as drops of blood dropping to the ground. The medical term for this is hemohydrosis. The struggle, the intensity of the struggle, right? So great that the blood vessels in his forehead burst, mixing blood in with his sweat that w and sweating profusely as those red drops would hit the ground. The struggle was fantastic. But your salvation and mine and everybody else's was more important to him. He had a choice. It was you or him. Me or him. And he chose you. And, and, I, and I love somebody coined this phrase Somewhere in the last couple thousand years, if you'd have been the only one, he'd have done it for you. 
We all know that to be true, right? You ever thought about that personally, though? He went through this. He made that decision. Imagine if you were the only condemned sinner on the face of the earth. And you're sitting over there, you know, able to somehow see him in the garden. And there he is. And he's making that choice. And he says, Chase is worth it. Walt's worth it. Shirley's worth it. Skip's worth it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah, you're worth it to him. You're worth it. So like Olive in the press, his human will, that self-preservation, was crushed to bring forth the oil of surrender, the oil of healing, healing for an otherwise incurable wound of sin. Olive oil in those days was used in the healing of wounds. But to get that oil, that oil that would bring healing to our incurable wound, Christ had to be squeezed to the breaking point. Back to our text in John 18. Verse 2, Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Judas, who had left the Last Supper, right, to make good on his promise to the Pharisees and the, and the Jewish leaders to hand Jesus over to those who wanted him dead, he arrives on this scene at that point, right? It's dark, they got lanterns, torches, weapons, so that they could arrest Jesus secretly under the cover of darkness, something they couldn't do in the daytime because the crowds, you know, still held him to be a prophet. Verse 4, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. But when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Did you miss that in your first reading of the, this gospel, maybe? He said, I am he, and they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus, creator of heaven and earth, right? Remember what we read in John 1, the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. He says, whom do you seek? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he utters the same words that he spoke to Moses from the burning bush. I am he. Not I am this little boy that grew up in Nazareth. I am he. I am John 1.1. 1, 1. I am the Word made flesh. I am the Creator of heaven and earth. And when He spoke those words, they came forth with such power. Right? You ever been startled by a snake or, or you know, something like that? Just something you weren't expecting? Right? Your own face in the mirror in the morning? No, that only happens to me. But you know, just start, that, that you that you draw back. 
How many have ever fallen over? You've been so startled. Imagine the power of those words. I am he. Whoosh. Bam. Right? Down they go. Like meeting a grizzly bear on the trail, right? You remember what he said in John 10? He said in verse 17 of John 10, he said, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. We get a picture of that right here, don't we? No, no, no one takes my life away from me, right? I am the I am. Down they go. To prove. You're not not putting God in chains here. I'm coming willingly. And he almost invites them again. They've hit the, you know, I just kind of think, they hit the ground. Why don't they just go, whoa, this guy is just, I'm I'm out of here, right? But he, he, he almost blinds them to it a little bit, I, I, I think. You know, I, I don't know what they were thinking, but, but he invites them again. Whom do you seek? And they get up and they brush themselves off again. They say, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth. And he says, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken just a couple chapters ago. Of those whom you have given me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put away your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me? He had already made that choice, right? Here's Peter wanting to defend his master and his friend. And he goes into protection mode, doesn't he? He draws his sword. And interestingly enough, doesn't Peter put his life on the line here? I mean, there's, there's swords, there's soldiers, there's, you know, they're coming out here intending to maybe do battle with this, uh, with the twelve. And Peter starts this thing out. We, we want to condemn him a little bit for denying the Lord three times, right? But he, but here he is. He's putting his life on the line, isn't he? So, He draws his sword and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And just in case anybody wants to check this out for historical accuracy, it was the right ear and the guy's name is Melchus. I love that. You know, they they talk about the gospel, you know, the whole Bible being just a bunch of stories and this and that. You know why the gospels have survived this long? Because they had plenty of time back then to go find Melchus. And say what happened in the garden, right? Especially Luke. Luke researched everything, right? Right down to the last thing. Uh, when they talk about that Jesus appeared to 500 after he had risen, and some of them are still alive, right? Because you could check these things out. You could verify these things. You could talk to people, and they would say, yep, that's the way it was. I mean, remember, the Romans and the Jews had a vested interest in shutting this thing down. They wanted nothing to do with this whole Christian thing, right? But they couldn't because there were verifiable things. Go find Melchus. 
It was the right ear. He'll tell you. And I can't imagine that Melchus was not a living testimony after that. I mean, if that had happened to you and you're sitting there in pain and your right ear is off and Jesus comes and whoop, 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 there's the ear again, whether he picked up the old one and put it, I don't know. But he's the creator. He can do whatever he wants, right? And, and, and he's got to be standing there in that garden going. All right? I don't know. Maybe he was deluded. I mean, the Pharisees saw miracle after miracle and they didn't care still. But... Um, whether or not he wanted to be a living testimony for Jesus, he still was, right? Yeah, there it is. So, so what do we get from all this? What do we get from all this? Jesus in the garden. Jesus the I am. Can't take his life from him. The Father didn't demand his life from him. Jesus gave it up for you, for me, and for the people that we work with, and for the neighbor next door and across the street, and the person that we have a strained relationship with, etc., etc., etc. He did it. Didn't he? Jesus didn't just say he loves you. He proved it. Beyond all doubt, Jesus, Son of God, creator of all that is, loves you that much. And he proved it. As Isaiah the prophet foretold, Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed like an olive for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. That's a pretty word for what he suffered. Was the chastisement that brought us peace, that gave us peace with Almighty God. We were his enemies according to sin, destined to be separated from him forever, judged and justly condemned to an eternity of darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. He took that that would bring us peace with God. And by his wounds, we are healed. Nobody took his life from him. He gave it willingly. For the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. That joy, I believe, is that Greg would be sitting here in church, that Rob would be sitting here, Elaine would be sitting here today, Bart would be sitting here, right? Betty would be sitting here today. That was the joy. B would be here today. Eric would be here today. I could just name you all, right? The joy set before him. The joy. Remember when, when, the, when the prodigal son came home, right? 
He was lost and now he's found. We had to celebrate. Do you, we, we sang that song this morning. You dance over me when I am unaware. You sing all around. The Bible says he rejoices over us with singing. Do you understand what your salvation means to the Father? What it means to Jesus that you are here, that you have a relationship with him, that your sins are forgiven, that you've been given righteousness, that you're going to be with him in heaven for eternity. He is ecstatic with joy over you. He didn't just die for you, an unworthy sinner. He looks down at you and go, they made it. They made it. They're mine. I'm going to be able to enjoy them up close and personal for all of eternity. They were dead. They were perishing. They were destined for for lost. But now they're found. They're mine. He rejoices over each and every one of us. Even though we're imperfect. Even though we blow it. Even though we fail. He rejoices over us. We made it. Because of that sacrifice on the cross. Amen. Redeemed, justified, made righteous through his blood, adopted as God's own children. To know him, to grow in him, spend eternity in his presence, and to help others find him too. That's what it's all about. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, what can we say? What can we say? You chose for me. Put, put, your, put your name in there. For me, you chose to be crushed. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful. God, would you help us to grasp not only that kind of love for us, that kind of value, that kind of worth that you put in us. But help us, Lord, to grasp that rejoicing. That as Kate said this morning, Lord, your presence, your your continual presence with us is not a presence that, that, that looks down just, don't mess up now, I'm watching. That it's not that, Lord, but that you are rejoicing over us, that you love us that you want to relate to us, that you want to help us throughout our day. Help us to know that, Lord. And you may be here or you may be listening online and you haven't opened that door of your heart to this great love yet. You haven't come to Him humbly and said, Lord, I need saving. I want to have you in my life. I want, to ha- I want you to have me in your life. I've seen, I understand now this incredible love that you have for me, and I want it. I want to know you. I want to know what this is all about. Pray this in your hearts. Lord, I, I open my heart to you. I come with all my sins, all my failures, all my mistakes. I bring them to the foot of the cross knowing that by your shed blood, I am healed. I am restored to a right relationship with you. 
Come into my heart and life, Lord, today, right now. Show me what it means to know you and to walk with you each and every day. Thank you. Thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.